This summer, um, we're, uh, our focus is on faith. And faith is a big, broad surface. If I were to compare faith to a jewel, it's got many facets. And we're just slowly turning the jewel and, and seeing all of it. Well, we're not going to see all of it. There's way too much. I could probably preach on faith for several years because um, it's, it's really integral. The Bible tells us that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Uh, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10 uh, says, uh, for, it is, for, for by grace you are saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It's the gift of God so that no man may boast. Uh, faith is essential to your salvation. Faith is essential to uh, a life that pleases God. You can, you can do the same action, but if it's not motivated by faith, it's empty to God. Uh, he's, it, it just doesn't mean much to him. Um, so faith is crucial. Uh, uh, we're told that the righteous will live by faith. It's basically that saved people live a life of faith. Now today, I want to show you a scripture that um, has been very meaningful to me for many years. Romans ten seventeen says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. Faith comes by hearing. There is a link between your faith and what you hear. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing. Oh, good, it's back there for y'all. It's not up here for me. I was like, I was like, oh no. Anyway, we've uh, we've been moving this past week, so our whole lives are discombobulated. But it's a, you know, moving's terrible, but it's but things are good. You know, it's just good. And uh, for humor's sake. Um, now and I have to get another. Other, we'll save those stories for later. Um, but faith comes from hearing, and I would sit there and say, like, all right, if you're going to grow in your faith, and faith comes by hearing, what do you listen to? Think about that for a second. What do you listen to? Uh, working with teenagers for twenty years. Helping them uh, develop a life of faith, a, a, a life listening to God and following his ways. I, 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 it didn't take me long to figure out that if a teenager was active in my youth ministry, they would be there Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday evening. Three hours that I could have to influence these teens. Now, there were lots of teens around at the time, so it wasn't like I had an exclusive three hours with a teenager. But there are three hours they would be in vicinity of my ministry. All right? Three hours compared to all the other hours that they're involved in school, in their sports, at a job, listening to music, watching TV, going to movies. A whole lot more room for the world to influence them. I would marvel, not marvel, I would be dismayed at just uh, things that young people would get involved in. Like one of the things that, that perplexed me for a while is when I would get a report of not a teenage pregnancy, but a childhood pregnancy. Like I've heard that, or not like I've read about those things, where, where a child who really hasn't entered the age where their hormones are starting to kick in, that, 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 all, that, they're, that they're availing themselves to that. I was like, what is that? And I just started, I just pondered it. And I'm looking at, I was looking at just like, well, you know, you listen to the music. My kids ask Alexa, the little, 
uh, device that connects to Amazon and plays music, and they'll be, Alexa, play kids bop. And there'll be modern secular songs sung by children. Some of those songs have uh, very suggestive lyrics. I mean, if the child is listening to things that say, okay, life is about making physical connections with another person, and that's what they're thinking about, what they think about, they ultimately do. You look at toys. I would see the toys. uh, They're toys of little girls who are dressing up, going to the mall to get attention. I'm like, that's... If they're playing with that, they're thinking about it. And I just, when I put two and two together that way, I just think it's like, well, if that's what they're playing, is that's what they're thinking, if that's what's in their ears, it's going to influence the decisions they make. So as a youth pastor, I know I've got three hours to influence a student, and the rest of the world, they're going to put something in their ears, they're going to watch something on the screen, they got the messages they get at school from their friends, from their parents. It's not a whole lot of time. I developed a strategy to help. And it did help some, but this was back in the day when I was a youth pastor, you listened to CDs. All right, that's, those days are gone. I mean, you know, um, we download music now. It's different. But I did an exchange program, and I would tell the, the students, I'd say, listen, you bring me two secular CDs, especially ones that have bad influences in there, I'll give you a a free Christian CD of your choosing. And I would just, I would stockpile Christian music because faith comes from hearing. If they're listening to music that is sexually suggestive, that's what's in their ears. But if I can get them to listen to music that says, and God is the greatest and highest pursuit of your life, that was a positive. And I would exchange them because faith comes from hearing. If faith comes from hearing, that's what the word tells us, what do you listen to? Like if you're always listening to talk radio, nothing wrong with that, all right? But, you know, just listen to these guys talk about the politics. Politics, 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 politics. What does that do to your faith? I'm not saying that it's wrong. I'm not saying that it's wrong. Um, I mean, I used to listen to it all the time until I just got tired of it. I didn't stop because I was, it was wrong. I got tired of it. Um, but I would imagine that, you know, if, if what's constantly in your ears is the problems with the government and how they're going after each other, and I love how they use my tax dollars to um, investigate one another. Thank you for that. Um, um, but you might be one that thinks that you might be conclude that, that our hope is in elected officials. Where I would sit there and tell you as a pastor, those fallen men and women, they're not our hope. Only a perfect God is our hope. So, what do you listen to? Man, I love me some classic rock. I do. I, 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 I just, I, I'm, ZZ Top is my, is my, is my band of choice right now. When I go to the gym, I need some energy music, turn on ZZ Top. And, but can I tell you something? No, nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with it. If, if country music is your thing, nothing wrong with that. It's not music style. But if faith comes from hearing, what are you listening to? And there are just times where I'm like, you know what? 
I need, I need to nourish my soul. I need to feed my faith. And rather than hitting that classic rock station, I hit one of those Christian stations to remind me that there's a God who loves me, cares for me, knows my needs, knows my name, knows my trajectory, has a plan for my life. Faith comes from hearing. What do you listen to? Now, it doesn't just say that. The the word says faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. See, because you can can listen to all kinds of things, but it's the word of Christ that is going to propel you in your faith. Now, one of the things like... um, there was this song by Rich Mullins years ago. Rich Mullins, if you haven't ever connected with his music, fantastic musician, was taken from us in a car accident. Um, but he just, he was, he was the kind of man where he made all kinds of money with his music career, but he told his record company to just pay him what the average American makes, and he lived on an Indian reservation as a missionary. Like, he, he had access to all kinds of other money. He says, you donate that to, to ministries and, 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 and to helping people. Just give me what I need to live on. I'm going to live life as a missionary. Uh, phenomenal man of faith. We had great songs. He had this song called, Boy Like Me, Man Like You. And he's asking the question. He's like, what was Jesus like when he was a boy? And he had this line. He says, if I ever really do grow up, I just want to grow up to be just like you. Um, in the song, they talk about, you know, that, that, that people would, would listen to the stories of old and those stories from the Bible would make a man's, would make a boy grow bold. And that's true. So as you read the pages of the scripture, like these, these stories, they, they tell you that, that God is there, that, that God is provides, that God, that God handles things. So it's really valuable to have that word of Christ in you. Now, today I want to do something a little special and a little different. Because sometimes we disconnect from the stories of old. And we're like, that was then. But this is now. Man, it's great that, that God led Abraham in a phenomenal way. But, but, but what did Abraham know about mortgages and closing on a house? Which, that's my, one of my current illust- frustrations is... We were supposed to close on the new home, and my bank just hasn't got their ducks in a row. And I think the problem with a big bank is they have too many ducks. And, and so, I, so right now, we are illegally occupying a home that's not ours. So how about that for preaching on a Sunday morning? Um, but uh, but yeah, that, Abraham, that was good for Abraham then. What about now? What, 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 okay, yeah, uh, um. They, they had trouble conceiving, but, but, but right now I'm having trouble paying my bills. Uh, I'm, I'm struggling in my relationship. I'm worried about divorce. I'm, I'm worried about this or that. Like, that was faith then. What about now? Well, God is still active today, providing for, caring for. And so I've, instead of me preaching today, I've invited five individuals to come and share a story of faith with you today. And I, my, my hope is that as faith comes by hearing, that you're going to hear stories of God 
being involved in lives today, different people, different situations, different arenas of life, the same God working it out, and that, that, that you can hear these stories that are also true, and that it might bolst, boost your faith and your capacity to trust God. Um, and then I'll close this out. And so, you know, for, for the Knowles family, we've been prayerfully looking to relocate to get closer to the church. Lots of work to do here. Spending less time on the road would be better for me as a father to my children and a husband to my wife, um, but also give me opportunity to, to be here to do more here, because there's just, there's lots to do. Um, and we've been looking since January, and you guys have come up to me, well, what's, what's new on the house front? And I've just had to be, I've just had to tell you, it's in God's time, in God's time, in God's time. And I was telling you, I'm reminding myself, because it was, waiting is frustrating. Anybody enjoy waiting? Not one of you? Unanimous, we are against waiting. How about that? But, I'd, I'd love to tell you the story, but I thought as a change-up, let me give a different voice to the same situation. And so I'd like to invite my wife, Julie, to, um, to just kind of speak about this bit of, of us trusting God. And, and we're telling the story because it's fresh. I mean, it's real fresh, isn't it? It's fresh. So it's on. Um, yeah, so our story of faith <clears throat> really began about a year ago. So we moved here, and we had like a day to find a house. No big deal. We ended up, we looked all in this area. There just was nothing in our, in our price range. And so we're like, people commute. Everyone commutes to work here. 30 minutes, not a big deal. We bought a house up in Little Elm, and within about a month, I'm regretting that. <laughs> And I didn't want to say anything to Bob because we had bought that house. We moved in thinking, we're here for 10 years. We're in this house for 10 years. That was our, that was our plan. And um, I was nervous to tell him, I really, I, 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 don't, I don't like anything about this. The house wasn't working for me. The location wasn't working for me. Um, the back and forth. And I, I really, you know, he's, he works here, but this is a, a much, as much a part of my calling as well to be a part of the church and to be able to serve and to be here. And so for me to even just come for Bible study was like an all-day affair. I had to like pretty much clear the whole day. By the time we got finished and I got back, it was time to pick the kids up, and then that whole circus started. Um, and so, so uh, you know, it wasn't long after we moved here that we knew we needed to get closer to the church. And we just began praying and waiting. And, you know, initially it started out, and it was just kind of the, the annoyance of the, the distance and the commute and getting used to that. But then things began to intensify um, just stress-wise for us. So, like, we had an incident. Our neighborhood was not, you know, you, you buy a house. You don't really realize, you don't interview the neighbors before you move in. And so um, the, there just wasn't a. A, a friendly atmosphere there. We we really didn't get to know anyone, 
And, and at one point, uh, we actually had a, pr- a really uh, negative experience with, with a neighborhood uh, boy in our, in our neighborhood, and that really brought us to our knees in just a, a desperate way. And it was at that point that it was like, okay, this is no longer like, okay, we prefer to move. This is, we have to move. And um, that was about August of last year. And so then our kids go back to school. We're still kind of just anticipating, you know, we're, you know, we don't want to move in the middle of the school year, all of those little, little details that you don't think about when it's just you and your husband. But then you add these five children that are really dependent on you for not just their physical needs, but now their social needs, their emotional needs, their spiritual needs. And so we begin to really think, start thinking more about that. And the the stress just intensifies. And so many times it was like, you know what? There are much bigger problems in the world. You know, we have church members who are going through cancer. We have other crises. Why is this so heavy on me? Like, it's just a house. But it just, the stress just kind of continued to mount up. And then um, at one point, you know, talking about what, who are you listening to and what are you listening to, and faith comes by hearing the enemy really began to whisper some toxic things to me and attack me as a wife and as a mother. And so for our most of our marriage, I have been a stay-at-home mom. I think we had one year that I had, almost a year, not quite, a year that I had an income. My brother likes to make fun of me because I'm the only one in our family who, went, who finished college And I'm the only one who doesn't have a job. So he loves to make fun of that. Um, But, you know, and it's a funny thing, but Satan really began to, like, mess with me. Like, well, if you had an income, then we could afford to live closer to the church. And so I would just brainstorm, and I'm on the Internet, like, what can I do with five children in tow and and make some money and try to help us get to a place where we could could move here? And it just... it really messed with me. It messed with me, and it, it began to affect me as a mother, as a wife, in, in every realm, just kind of this desire to like, you know what, we've trusted God, but it's, you know, sometimes you just need to, your faith needs to have action. And that's, that's not untrue, but in this situation, it wasn't really about faith. It was about me doing something and me stepping up and helping my husband provide. I've watched him for all these years just paint houses and do all kinds of things on the side while I've had the privilege of being home with our kids. And, and I just, I wanted to contribute and it was frustrating and Satan really got me there. And you know, as that, that lie began to affect us and it was just for, you know, as a few, and it was like, you're kind of aware it's happening, but then you're still just drowning in it a little bit. And so that was my experience. And so as time kind of went on, I mean, we're str- we begin struggling as parents. Our kids are struggling in school. Um, we're not responding the right way. We don't know how. We've got our oldest. He's our poor little guinea pig. We don't know what we're doing. So trial and error and mostly error for us. And, and our marriage, there was just an incredible amount of stress on our marriage. We don't see each other. We can't. When we do see each other, we're problem solving. Um, and it just... The pressure just mounted. Finally, in in February, like you said, we put our house on the market. I started packing. Every box that we had moved here, uh, that we had left from the move when we came, I filled. Probably about 30 boxes in our garage. Packed them in faith. We're moving. 
uh, put our house on the market, and then began the process of just waiting to see when it would happen. And I kind of had a deadline in my mind. It was like, okay, we're good. May, April, May was kind of my deadline. Then that would give us time to move, get settled. Well, April came and went, and we even had a stint there where we didn't even show our house for probably a, three weeks, maybe. And the pressure really started mounting for me, like, what are we going to do with our kids? We either have to move, or they're going to have to change schools, or am I going to have to homeschool? Holy, I like homeschool five kids. All I, I, I was really considering that that might be um, the situation for me. As we looked for houses, a lot of the stuff that we could find in our price range just was not in the place where you would also put your kids in the school. So, um, I want to say almost the peak of it. Bob was at camp. And I was at my mom's house, and we finally got an offer on our house. wasn't quite what we needed, but we were able to negotiate it. And that Saturday, it, it worked out that we got an offer on our house. So it was like one side of this finally closed, and we were so excited. We're praising God. We meet with our realtor, and she's like, okay, we got to find a house. So there was this house up in... Uh, in Plano, about 20 minutes from here. Not ideal, but it's like, you know what? It'll work. We have to have something. She's like, do you want to make an offer? Well, in the process, a few weeks before all this, we had made an offer on a house in Carrollton, and they didn't want the contingency, and we just didn't feel like it was wise to not have the contingency on selling our house. So that fell through, and I remember the day that I looked on there and saw that house was under contract because we were like, you know what? It'll still be there when our house... If we get a contract, that house will still be there. Well, it wasn't. And that was just like, oh, a sinking moment for us. We also made an offer on another house that we got outbid on. So there was all this activity going on, and nothing was just falling into place. Finally, we get the contract on our house. This house in Plano, we're like, okay, this will work, and we'll we'll do it. Um, Our realtor's like, do you want to make an offer? And we're like, no, let's wait. There's one other house in that neighborhood we're going to go look at. So we come to church that next Sunday, and we're excited. We're, we're just thrilled because we, we had the offer, and we knew this was going to happen at some point. We just didn't see how it was all going to come together yet. So after, after the service, I go to Blaine because Blaine had helped Bob negotiate the, the, uh, the deal on our other house. And I was just so grateful for his wisdom and just wanted to tell him thank you for that. And he pulls us aside and he's like, hey, guys, I just want to tell you that um, someone in our church wants to help you get closer to the church. And they've made a substantial donation to help you buy a house in this area. And just as I had been brought to my knees in heartbreak months earlier with the incident in our neighborhood, I almost went to my knees in that moment because it was just like, it all, it all was coming together. We, there was nothing in our, there just wasn't anything in our price range. And now we had a little bit more money to work with. So that afternoon, um, we were able to share this information with our realtor who, by the way, like, you know, our faith is encouraged. Her faith is then impacted as she sees God just starting to put pieces together for us. Um, so we look at another house, uh, on, on Sunday, and then we go to this house down the street that we had seen, but it was like, that's too, you know, that was just out of our range, and we go look at the house, and it's perfect, but my initial reaction is just like, no, 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 like, that's, that's too nice for us, like, we don't live in stuff like that, you know, like, 
This is not our, you know, when you're, I don't know where this comes from, but just kind of this belief that we really should live humbly as servants of God, and, uh, and we want to, but here's this house. And so we look at it, and our realtor's like, do you want to make an offer? And I'm like, I, I just couldn't go there. We, couldn't, we were like, we couldn't wrap our brain around that. Oh, let's just wait a second. Well, then we go back the next day to look at another house on that street that was a complete disaster. And two doors down is the, the house that we had loved but just didn't feel like we were worthy of which is a whole nother sermon. We're not worthy of anything, but certainly not that. And so we, um, we go back and, and look at it again. Now there's, there are people in it. It's under contract. And so it was kind of in that moment that I was like, oh, that's the house we really wanted. Um, anyway, we leave. We find out that the contract is iffy. They're not sure they want it. And so we put in a backup contract. While we were there, it's kind of interesting. Sadie walked out on the patio and she found a little button and she hands it to me. And it was like a, an Easter button that you would wear at Easter. It had a cross on it. And it just put it in my head. These people might be believers. We put in a backup offer. And um, two days later, I guess two days later, a day later, we find out that the other contract fell through. Bob had written a letter kind of saying who we were and why we wanted to relocate to this area. And they had from what I understand, about five other offers, and they accepted our offer because of who we were and because of the letter. And it was just, it was just like in four days. This all happened in four days. Not only that, because it had been under contract, they had already had an inspection, so we didn't have to pay for a $750 inspection. It just kind of kept going. Like the blessings just kept going. And you know, in those moments, like even in the moment when Blaine shared with us the gift, it was like it, it, God just superseded all of that. It wasn't even about the house or the money or the, even the location. It was just like God sees us. He sees us. He sees the struggle no matter how little, no matter how big. He sees it, and it matters to him. And I thought, like, oftentimes during the process, I would think of um, the 73rd Psalm. I think it's a Psalm of Asaph, and he's talking about his struggle. And, and then he would say, but then I came into the sanctuary. I came into your sanctuary, O God. And time and time again, over this past year, it's been like coming to worship has just filled me up, even in the midst of, like, the struggle. The struggle's still there. The circumstances are still there. But worshiping with our church family filled us up. Those daily times to just go into my room and open God's word and him just pour into me. Coming into his presence just continually renewed, renewed our faith. And we knew that he was going to come through even though we didn't know how. Um, Ephesians chapter 3 has the one of my favorite verses chapter 3 I think it's verse 20 and 21 but it says now to him who is able to do more than we can imagine ask or imagine and he certainly he certainly did more than we asked and far more than I even imagined to him be the glory in the church that's us and in Christ Jesus forever and ever amen so thank you church for calling us here and for hearing our story you know, I wanted you guys to hear a little bit of our story because it is fresh. But really, in the, in the grand scope of things, 
a house is, you just think there's things way more grand than that. But, but I hope you can hear that, that God sees you. He knows your needs. Uh, one of the things that was really cool this weekend was Schaefer's birthday. In the midst of moving, all right, we, a lot of focus has gone there. And I was really afraid that um, uh, he was just going to kind of get lost in that shuffle. And it, it was kind of true. He asked for his birthday for his friend from Albany. Um, oh, gosh, I've lost his name. But his Lachlan to come to his birthday party. We didn't invite them because you know, we're just caught up in that. We get a phone call and it's like, hey, we're in town on the day of my son's birthday. Like, like God saw that little guy and his friend got to be at his birthday party yesterday. God sees you. And in his timing and in his wisdom and in his plan, he comes together. I want you to hear another story. Miss Charlie, if you would come in and share a story of faith where God led you. I um, wrote mine down because um, I don't do speaking in front of people very well. <laughs> so um, I can get up here and sing, no problem. I would be like the song, I'm finding myself at a loss for words. <laughs> I wouldn't know what to say. So anyway, I wrote mine down. Um, faith was not something that was taught or modeled to me growing up. I was taught that you had to do it yourself and that if you didn't get it, then you weren't working hard enough. Um, when my career took a turn because of health issues from stress at a law firm that I worked at, I ended up going back to being a hairstylist, much to my dismay. <clears throat> the very last thing I wanted to do after leaving the law firm was to make a living as a hairstylist. But because of where the economy was back then, I ended up applying at a salon in the Lifetime Fitness uh, gym and uh, got the job within a week. I thought I'd do it just until something else came along. Uh, or so I thought. You know the story about the guy that told God he didn't want to go to Africa and then that's as a missionary and that's exactly where God sent him? That was my situation. <laughs> so I found out you don't tell God what you don't want to do because that's exactly where he'll put you. <laughs> uh, I went to work at Lifetime Fitness for a little over two years and also took an accounting job two days a week as well. I ended up stepping out in faith to leave Lifetime Fitness and start my own shop in a, a suite set up where I was on my own, which is where I am today. Um, I wasn't sure that my clientele would follow me to that new location. I was terrified. Um, turns out about 80% ended up following me. But I knew uh, that I would never know unless I tried it, so I launched out on my own. I still had the two-day-a-week job. Uh, but after a little while, I really felt like God was telling me to quit that job and trust him to grow my own salon. But in true Charlie fashion, doing it on my own, I thought I had to be the one to work hard so that it would happen. I also thought surely God wouldn't tell me to give up $1,000 a month guaranteed income and a company that was good to me, and Shelby was in college. This went on for a while until one day God decided to use one of my clients, actually two of my clients, to show me what he wanted me to do. One day I had a new client come in, and as we talked, she told me that uh, she was retired from accounting and was looking for a part-time job. I told her that I would eventually be leaving the other job 
and I'd let her know uh, and if she would send me her resume just in case. A few more weeks went by, and I had a regular client come in, and she was a strong believer, and we had many discussions about the Lord. Uh, she shared with me that she was quitting her job and that she felt if she didn't do that if she didn't do that, uh, she wouldn't be being obedient to God. At that point, I knew in my heart that I was not being obedient to God and what he had asked me to do, and I was immediately convicted of making excuses to him. So uh, I wanted to know that it was going to work out at the shop before I quit the other job. When I went in to work that next week, I gave my notice and also handed them the resume of the new client that had come in and said that she was looking for a job. They ended up hiring her, and turns out the company was very close to her house. Because of that act of faith, God was faithful and grew my business to more than double what it was before. I believe that God has given me a ministry, and everyone that comes to sit in my chair was truly sent to me by God. Thank you. You know, we wish God would lay out the road map so we can see all the steps in front of us, but he doesn't do that because that wouldn't be faith. But the more you take those steps, the more you trust him. And uh, what a great story of trusting God and uh, seeing his provision with that. I want to invite Walt Klein and come and share some of his story. I'm not if I'm going to be able to stay still. Uh, I, I've spent a few years in front of people, and though I wrote my, my, my testimony down, I just want to say it's kind of interesting, Bob, how God works, because without Charlie, I wouldn't be standing here. It was through Charlie's relationship and faith that brought Karen and I and Elizabeth here in relationship. But I, I consider my life journey, uh, my faith journey, I don't know, I always say it's just kind of ordinary. It's definitely not a Louis Zamperini story where you'd go up and get converted and all things go well. I was raised in a church. Uh, for the Knowles children, I have empathy for you because I was a preacher's kid, right? So um, I know that God, as I look back and reflect back on my faith journey, that God has been working as the master potter, constantly shaping, molding me, in his hands. Um, eighth grade, went to a youth retreat. You know, the first act of faith was basically saying, yes, I, I do really accept this Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. Um, but, you know, youth group and continued on in life, young adult period, when I really look at, well, but was I truly following God? Was I really submitting to God? God had put a lot of talent in me, and I had a lot of faith a lot, or a lot of confidence in myself. I had the answers. I knew what I was going to do in life. Notice how I say I a lot, all right? One of the best things in my life was, you know, through the, the, the valleys and the hills and, and so forth that we live is, you know, he brought me Karen, um, We've had then, in this life journey, a lot of hills and valleys, raising children, making moves, getting laid off from jobs. Um, but each one of those, as I reflect back, I realize how much God has used each one of those 
events to continue to mold me, to make me stronger, to bring me closer to him in relationship. Um, I always say, though, eventually life's going to knock you down really hard. And um, I called it really my come-to-Jesus moment that was I really following and being obedient to God, uh, really showing what he could do if I allowed him to really take hold. Uh, it was about 2006. I was, I was moving up the career path. Uh, I was doing well. I had just been given my mid, mid-year review that I was exceeding expectations. Um, then all of a sudden, how many of you work for large companies that have reorganizations, right? Just comes. All of a sudden, a peer becomes my boss. And all of a sudden, I'm no longer exceeding expectations, but in their view, I was not meeting expectations, right? I'm going, okay, how do I, three, two months ago, I'm, I'm in, in all, my beha- all my performance and so forth is exactly the same. Nope, you're not meeting expectations. This was devastating. You know, all of a sudden, your, you know, your livelihood, your bonuses, it was at the end of the year. There's no way to recover. And it was fellow Christians, fellow workers who were Christians who knew me. All of a sudden, I uh, remember Darren sending me a scripture. And that day, that scripture meant everything. It lifted me up. It gave me encouragement. Um, I brought a book up because one Saturday, talking about men's, men's group, is we had men's breakfast and went to men's breakfast. Uh, believe it or not, I'm a mid-range introvert, okay? So mid-range introverts, we need to go have quiet solitude to re- recoup. So I kind of walked down the hallway, ended up in our Sunday school class, and I was just talking to God saying, God, I'm not really for sure how this is going to happen, you know, but I know you got a plan. And I looked down, and there was a box of books. A man in the mirror was the book. And I picked it up, and I looked at the table of content, and I said, oh, this seems interesting, and I took it home. And I started to read it, and it started to convict me in a certain way through the Holy Spirit saying, you know, Walt, you kind of been uh, slow going here. You haven't really been as obedient to me in following what I want for you as you should. It got me into things like uh, devotions. You know, again, sometimes I would do a daily devotion and I'm going, how did that author know that I was going through this event at this time with the scripture to give me instructions on how to handle something? It was just you know, amazing to me. Also, I, we had a new pastor come in, and also I loved um, history. And the pastor can basically talk about how many of you actually read through the Bible. We say we're Christians, but how many of us actually have studied the Bible? And as a history buff, I know many of our founding fathers would do so just in a course of a year for just instruction, how to live their lives. But I had never done that as an act of worship. And I finally did, and it became very transformational to me because it helped me to better see God's story using ordinary people, broken people, just like me, to do His will be done. Well, you know how life is. Stephen Covey, right? Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. 
10% of life is inevitable. The other 90% is how we choose to deal with the other 10%. Well, as a follower of Christ, and if you have strong faith, what are you going to go rely on? Yourself or God? Life hit me. It was December 9th. It was 1.30 in the afternoon, a mandatory call. I had this gut feeling I knew what this call was about. And sure enough, it came to fruition. Our whole team was being laid off from the bank. The last day was December the 23rd. Now, in other times, what would I do? I'd get knocked down, I'd jump back up, and I would go out and solve the problem. This time, I knelt down, and I said, God, I know you have a plan. I, I knew that this train was going to come to an end, where do you want us to be? Well, I started to search out. I don't know, many of you don't know, but, you know, we were involved in our church, our community. I was an elected official. I was happy. I had friends. It's the longest I'd ever lived anywhere in my life, 12 years, right? So I was trying to stay there in Charlotte. But God had other plans, so we started to talk. What other states did you want us to go? Well, Texas. Well, okay, well, your mom and dad's in Texas. Well, let's start looking at how God's plan unfolds for us. His move, his plan, his getting me here. Uh, The first job really did not pan out, but then all of a sudden this job that I'm currently in just comes out to me, right? And I took the step of faith to, to move. It's allowed us, obviously, this year, the, the greatest blessing was being able to, to be here to walk the final journey for dad, Karen's dad. But also just the, the, the great opportunity we had, Karen and I, to spend time with Karen and her dad, mom and dad for the years that we had here together. Um, but anyway, long story short, as I look back just the four years and I look at God's providence, God touching and making things work in my life, like with Charlie. By the way, the reason we know Charlie, Karen was looking for a hair designer. Tatum is Karen's grandmother's last name. She said, well, that sounds like a name. I'm going to go to this Charlie Tatum, Right? <laughs> I want to tell you how, how close it is. Do you know that Brown and I are, are cousins? We found that out last, last Sunday, that our mothers come from the same lineage. Now, you talk about what's the probability. All right. And if you know who and what I do, I'm all about the data. And God I trust, all others bring data. I want to leave you with this. The bottom line is, is, you know, again, I see his loving hands and his grace in my life. I am not a perfect man. I am a broken man. I still struggle with some of those things that are human in me. Um, But the bottom line is, is I, I always go back and reflect in his loving and merciful God that he is that, in the very beginning, as Psalms 139, 13 through 14 states, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full and well. And I know that 
just like for me, each one of you, we're not mistakes. God made us. God has purpose for us. And therefore, all we have to do is have a little faith and we can move a mountain. So, thanks. Miss Jasmine, yeah. He gets to back clean up today, you know. Bring the heavy hitters for four. Um, uh, yeah, Walt's talking about providence. God seems to weave our lives together in a way, and you look back, and you're like, I never could have designed that on my own. Thank you, Walt. Here's some of your story. Um, so my story, <laughs> I grew up in a lot of different churches, uh, so I got used to hearing this very familiar question that you've all probably been asked at one point. Um, someone would always eventually ask, so when did you get saved? Um, or some iteration of that question. Um, and the gist is, of course, that they, always, they were wanting to know what was that moment of accepting Jesus um, and being into your heart and that moment of salvation. And I always had my story down pat. I was eight, eight years old, Sunday school, um, and, you know, every Sunday they always ask the kids, okay, who want, you know, bow your heads, close your eyes, raise your hands if you want to accept Jesus. Um, and, of course, I was very, I got, I noticed that, you know, some of the kids would disappear once you opened your eyes, and so I got very used to, like, raising your hand just enough to be honest, like, me and God were honest, you know, we, we both knew what was going on, but not enough so that any adult felt obligated to Zoink me out. Um, but one Sunday, either, you know, I raised my hand a little bit too high or some adult was being more observant than usual. But I got yanked out of, uh, out of my pew um, and in the hall, and they led me through a prayer. Um, and so, you know, that, got, I was, that walked through that prayer of salvation. Um, but when Pastor asked uh, to share, you know, how I came to faith, um, I had to think a little bit because that's not a question I've ever really been asked. Um, and that story of me being eight in Sunday school is not the answer to that question. Um, it's not the point in my life where I can look back and say, yes, this is where everything changed. Um, to share that story and to really kind of explain to you all why it's almost like a miracle that I'm standing up here able, able to talk to you all instead of hiding in the back of the church, um, I need to give you a little bit of the backstory. Um, so some of you know this, but I'm what you would call a third culture kid. And so that is a kid who uh, their parents are from one culture, um, and but they grow up in a different culture from either their parents or what's on their passport. Um, and so that third culture is essentially the amalgamation. I happen to be, I guess, what a fourth culture kid. My mother is from Guyana, which is in South America. My father hails from the great country of Oklahoma, and um, <laughs> and um, I, me and my sister spent most of my formative years in uh, growing up in countries like Congo, Papua New Guinea, or Austria. Um, and so, and while I would never trade any of that for the world, I, I loved growing up in different cultures and meeting different people. Um, one of the challenges that being raised in a whole bunch of different cultures other than your own um, parents' culture presents for third culture kids, particularly those who have grown up in military um, or myself as a State Department kid, 
um, we face a challenge of struggling with our developing our identities um, and forming long-term relationships um, or even regular relationships with people um, because we're so used to cutting ties and moving on um, after a couple of years. So I suffered in a lot of these areas of knowing who I was and making friends with people. Um, and a lot of that, as a result, struggled with loneliness, um, deep social anxiety, um, feeling like I belonged, and at times even depression. And this became particularly a big struggle when I went off to college because my, my, me and my sister went to different schools. And so um, while she was off making friends and doing you know, all kinds of different different and exciting things, I w was not doing any of those things. I was working and going to school, and that was it. Um, and this all, of course, as things are wont to do, hit the fan. Um, in 2016, I was graduating with my MBA, starting a new job, um, moving into a new place, and things in my personal life were becoming so much more than I could actually handle. And I tried. I did all the right things that you're supposed to do when things tend to become overwhelming. Um, and, of course, it all broke that fall in a very bad anxiety attack in the church parking lot during church chunk or treat, which, by the way, is not a great place to have like, an anxiety attack. <laughs> um, too many kids, too much candy going on. <laughs> it's just not a great place, FYI. Um, but it's kind of like that story of the prodigal son. Um, you remember he's hit bottom. He's mucking out the pig pens. Um, he's eating slop. And Luke 15, 17 says that um, he suddenly come, he comes, he came to himself. Suddenly he came to his senses. He has a moment of clarity. And that's what happened for me. And I remember being, saying to myself, that's it. I'm done. God, you're going to have to fix this. Um, I can't, you're, you're going to have to work all of this out. Because um, I can't, I can't do this anymore. Um, and that's when he said, that's just fine, because I can. Um, and he did. It's been one very strange and marvelous journey. Um, but I can tell you that the person who is sitting here, be standing, sitting before you, um, now knows who she is, thanks to um, what I've learned and experienced in God um, through pressing into him, the darkness that he brought me out of into this marvelous life, um, and the people who are around me now, um, the people who I can call friends, um, my third row crew knows this, um, <laughs> um, and they often still don't believe me when I say this, but the person that's standing here is not the same person from three years ago. Um, and it's sort of like what Walt said, you stole my words, it's my come to Jesus moment. Um, and, but that's the most beautiful thing about faith, is that it will take you from, I don't know how to do this, desperation, to I can't do this without you, God, kind of yearning. Um, and it will manifest itself into, I don't want to do this without you, kind of life. You know, so many people struggle to figure out who they are. And... I think Jasmine tells a beautiful story that the best way to figure out who you are is really to lean into your creator. Let me let you hear one more story. Mr. Brown, if you would come up and share some of your story with the church.
you know, I got uh, I got kind of excited because Bob said, you know, you're you're going last, and uh, I'm like, okay, you're bringing in the closer, yeah. <laughs> and then I, I'm sitting back there, and it dawns on me, wait a minute, if everybody goes too long and they have to cut somebody short, <laughs> maybe I'm just filler. Okay. All right, I am a grateful believer in Jesus Christ. I'm in a recovery for anger and resentment. My name is Brown. Hey, everybody. I thought for sure they'd put a CR sign up there. I'm also the, I'm the ministry leader at Celebrate Recovery, which is Monday nights, 7 o'clock. Also an elder, also a member, also do whatever they need. Okay. I grew up in a fairly normal family in Arlington, Texas. Uh, my life was good. My family didn't drink, smoke do drugs, or abuse others. We went to church each Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday evening. I think there was a Thursday night thing uh, going on as well. Uh, I'm also a recovering Southern Baptist, too, just in case. I was plugged into Sunday school, choir, youth group. I had plenty of friends. Things were good until the summer before my senior year. That summer, my mother told me that she was divorcing my father. This blew me away. I didn't know what to say. Um, the only thing that I do remember from this is that I said to my mother, or said to myself, I can't deny my mother's happiness. Now, where this came from, I have no idea. I don't remember being a martyr to other people's desires or putting my whole self second to other people's wishes. Not long after this revelation, I learned one of life's harshest lessons, and that's that good things don't last. My folks were married about 24 years, I think, before it all came unglued. Within two weeks of learning about my parents' marital troubles, I started drinking. Not heavily, but a few beers when I was out with friends. Mind you, I was 17 when this happened. Later on that summer, you'd read in my journal, I just want to get drunk. Shortly after that, I was sleeping around with anybody who was willing. I was hiding my pain in sex and alcohol. And life taught me another harsh lesson. Life is not fair flat out not fair. Now fast forward several years, uh, 25-ish years I guess, uh, my wife, my ex-wife told me to move out. Uh, we'd been married uh, 17 years, well 16, when it really kind of all <coughs> came unraveled, kind of like somebody else's relationship I knew. Um, first time she told me to move out was in 2000. She was tired of me promising to change and not following through. She wanted, to be more of a, wanted me to be more of a leader in the family to, to take charge of the finances and claw my way up the ladder at work. And while these were all, you know, good things and I wanted to do them, uh, for some reason I couldn't follow through. I would cry, promise to change, even ask forgiveness. Uh, but when the next day dawned, I could see myself slipping back into my old routines. I could see it even see it happening, and I would hope that my, uh, my wife wouldn't notice, and I'd despise myself. The cycle repeated itself time and again. Now, where was God in all this? I asked myself that same question. I decided that maybe I just wasn't quite good enough, or, or maybe he didn't really care that much. Um, but I stuffed it, like I did everything else. You know, this made me angry, but you know, if you swallow enough anger, then it kind of becomes your, your normal routine. And that's what I've been doing. I eventually moved out of the house and in with my parents. Uh, any money that I had was gone. 
the job that I had literally just barely covered child support. The bills that I had couldn't get paid. My creditors were calling. All that I could do was fuel the fire of my anger and resentment towards God because he could fix this after all. I mean, he could snap his fingers and make my resume float to the top of, the, of somebody's end stack. Anger fueled my resentment, which fueled my depression, which fueled my anger, and so on and so on. In April of 08, my therapist diagnosed me with borderline personality disorder. Now, BPD is a chemical imbalance inside your head. Uh, everything's either really, really up or really, really down. There are no okay days. It's either the best day ever or just the worst day ever. And when you're spiraling in depression, most of them are the worst day ever. Now, you would think that with a, an actual medical diagnosis, I would feel better, right? Because, you know, now we knew what was wrong, and now we know how to attack it. I didn't. I asked my wife if uh, the diagnosis changed her decision to divorce because now we knew what was wrong. But it didn't. I blame God more than ever because he allowed me to have this illness. He allowed my marriage to fail, my children to suffer the breakup of their home. He couldn't, or he wouldn't, speak to me through this biological thing I have. And hate welled up in my soul. About the same time as uh, the diagnosis, I started going to celebrate recovery. Uh, when we reached lesson three, the one about hope, I hit a wall. I read that lesson over and over again, getting ready for the, for the class. Because what you do, you, you read the lesson, you answer seven, eight, nine, ten questions, and then you get together and you, and you share your answers with the group. And I can quote for you every word that I wrote in my, in my booklet about hope. I didn't have any. I didn't believe any. I didn't, I didn't think it was possible. Hope was this four-letter word that you Christians threw around at each other. And, you know, if it made you feel better, great. But it didn't exist for me. However, and this is the best part about testimonies, that however, that, that, that but, somewhere along the line, going through that process, my heart was a little less hot. I stopped feeding the resentment. And the flames died down. I realized when it, later on, when it happened, uh, when it, everything stopped being about me, and poor pitiful me, and all my woe-so-terrible problems and my little pity parties, and it started being about somebody else. Even if it was just as simple as taking out the trash, or we do a lot of readings from the, from the board, uh, setting up chairs, taking down the chairs, do, just doing little things. When it started being about somebody else, that's when, when my recovery, my Christianity, if we'll call it, really made that shift. What I could really hear was God saying from way back in my old Southern Baptist days, and I like to tease Southern Baptists because I are one, uh, but, but they, oh, they beat the scripture into you, which is fantastic. It, it really, it, it doesn't pay off right now. It pays off later. Uh, all I could hear uh, from my old Southern Baptist days was God saying to Job, then the Lord answered Job out of the storm, and my life was certainly there. He said, would you discredit my justice? Would you condemn me 
to justify yourself. And I realized I'd been doing that my entire life. Everything that I did, which consequently would fall apart, I blamed on God or somebody else or, or anybody, anybody but me, anybody but me. Now, you remember those two life lessons I mentioned? Uh, good things don't last and life isn't fair. Well, that first one's about half true, half true. The good things that people make don't last. I mean, you take, you take a married couple and they do everything right, which we know isn't going to happen, but you do everything right. You get about 50 years and then somebody passes. You build a house. Wow, what do you get, 100 years? Maybe. And, it, and we bulldoze it. But the things that God puts in place, his word, his principles, his precepts, we can build on that. We, we can bank on that because I'm, I'm banking my eternity on that. And that other one, that life isn't fair? Uh, thank God it's not. Because if life was fair, he'd have smoked me a long time ago. How many decades did I stand there sticking my thumb in God's eye? How many folks have kids? Okay, most of us. I didn't see your hand raise up, Jasmine. I, I had to look extra close. Um, I've got three boys, actually men, three grown men now. Uh, my baby's 25. Um, there is a handful of people in this world that I would take a bullet for, okay? Uh, a handful. It's a very small handful. My wife, my kids, my mom. Uh, there's a little bit larger group that if the crazy man comes in, sure, I'll, I'll return fire. But, you know, Blaine, I'm not, I'm not taking your bullet, brother. Um, <laughs> there is not a soul on this planet that I would let any one of my sons get hurt for. Period. Not a, sorry, honey, not my mom, no one. But God let his boy get hurt, and not just hurt, but hurt bad and die for me. That's not fair. That's not fair. I should have been up there. At best, I got to live to 120 and do everything right just to break even. I'll never get there. But he let his boy get hurt for me. That's not fair. That, and if he did it for me, how much will he do it for you? And if he does that for us, how much must that mean that he loves us? That's a, that's a love I don't, that doesn't, I don't get it. But it's true. And thank God it's true. Thank you all for letting me share. Different people, different circumstances, different degrees of need, one great God. You know, I don't know what you might be dealing with today, what struggle you may be trying to control, but I want you to know that there's a God who sees you knows you, has a better plan than you have. And if you would seek him, you would trust him, you'll be amazed at what he would do. You know, a lot of our life has been um, just experiencing God's promise in Isaiah where he says that those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. 
You know, a lot of my first year here has been like, hey, oh my goodness, we have had a trouble here, trouble here, problem here, problem here. And all along, God just keeps giving more strength and more strength and more strength to deal with it. And then we had a week where it was just like all God's favor. That was a fun week. Now we're back to the whole God giving the strength thing. But his promises are true. True for me. True for those that we read about in his word. True for you. And my prayer for you today is that wherever you are, that you would just lean in and trust him and follow him. And if you really want God to respond in your life, I'll give you this advice. Do things in your life by his prescription. A lot of times we sit there and we say, okay, God, you, I, I need you to do it like this for me. Like, because... I insist on you doing it my way. If you'll do things God's way, you'll find him to be very responsive to your situation. A lot of times we just, God's like saying us, and I can't, I can't honor that. Like, like, maybe in my mercy, I'll, I'll try to pull you in with some of my mercy. But, but my great advice in all things is, Relate to God on his terms. And you'll be better for it. And I, you know, and I'm, I know we all struggle with things. We, we think our schedule matters more than what God's may be for us. We think our goals may be greater than his. It's just not true. If there's an attitude that you are maintaining that you know God wouldn't have you do have, drop it. It'd be better for you. If you're expecting God to change his word to fit you and your culture, that's not how it works. He doesn't change his word. His word is meant to change you and I. If, if you've got... you're trying to understand it I mean that's so that's a good how did God do those miracles how did it happen let me tell you when you make the shift to say you know what I just believe it it opens things up for you in a way that's quite amazing I mean I've, I'm a very analytical person but when I came to that point where I was like you know what I'm not going to try to figure out how God parted the Red Sea. He did. How did he get Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego out of that fire? I just quit trying to figure out how. I just really believed. It's, it's a life-changing step. So where are you today? What do you need to do? I'll give you one more bit of advice. Faith comes from hearing. And hearing by the word of Christ. Today you've heard stories. But more powerful than our personal stories are when those stories are connected with the word of God. To put yourself in an arena, like a life group, like a Bible study, 
where the, where, the, where the group is small enough that you can converse, that you can have conversation. It's in those arenas that your faith will grow the most. You can hear people's stories. I know, because I've talked to a lot of you, there are faith stories all throughout this room. Uh, we're going to intentionally try to give one faith story a month now. All right? And so some of you will have an opportunity. And, uh, and I look forward to hearing that faith story. And then as you go along, I've got a lifetime of faith stories from how we came to be at this church, how I ended up marrying that woman. She's pretty fantastic. I'll just say that. Um, like just God leading, God providing. So we're going to close. I want to invite our musicians to come up now. A song that'll be the first time we're doing it here, but it's just been on the radio. The song called I'm Listening. And they're like, if you're really going to lead a life of faith and let God lead, you have to tune in. And so let's make this our final prayer today and say, God, I don't want to miss one thing that you've got to say. I'm listening. I'm listening. And if there is a prayer need or decision, I'll make myself available here at the front as I do every Sunday. I'll be here to receive you and pray with you. But as if, you, if you're not familiar with the song, let it minister to you. And if you know, sing along and make it a prayer. Father God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for these stories. I thank you for um, your people. And God, that over and over and over again, you prove yourself to be faithful. And then God, that I've learned to trust you more and more. I remember that first step of faith. Trusting you to save me. I remember that first step of faith when what you told me didn't make sense. But I trusted you anyway. And how you brought about a success that I couldn't have predicted. God, I remember... You leading me to places to serve, to people to spend my time with, to spend my life with. God, there is no, no one who's got a better plan than you. And you know all things. And I pray for your people today that wherever they are, whatever they're dealing with, that you would speak to them in that way that only you can. With that quiet, still whisper that you get only in your soul. And God, that they can walk trusting you more than they even trust themselves. So Father, meet with us. Speak with us. We're listening. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.